I'm Abby Kinney, and you are listening to Upsound. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Upzone, a show where we take a big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kinney, an urban planner at Multi Studio in Kansas City, and joining me today is Kevin Klinkenberg, Executive Director of Midtown KC Now, urban planner and architect. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Thank Abby. you for joining me. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. So we're going to talk about, I think it's kind of a, a fun topic this week. It's a little bit silly, but I think we'll have a good discussion about it. We've talked about this a few times offline, but the concept of 15-minute cities has kind of hit the mainstream more recently and has actually been covered by the New York Times. So the article that we are covering was published in the Times by Chris Stanford. It is entitled The 15-Minute City, Where Urban Planning Meets Conspiracy Theories. So this has become this like international fight (laughs) that people have been having more recently. For listeners who aren't aware, the 15-minute city is an urban planning concept, which basically means that your neighborhood or the vicinity around where you live within a 15-minute walk provides access to typical daily destinations like work, school, parks, convenience stores, shopping, restaurants, those sorts of things. I feel like in the urban planning world, this is a concept that is pretty mainstream, fairly innocuous, since it's kind of about quality of life and mixed-use neighborhoods and the things that make up more of the traditional development pattern. But during the pandemic and you know even more recently, this idea has picked up a lot of momentum. And I think that's because so many people were working from home, uh, not really commuting as much, spending time outside, uh, spending more time in their neighborhoods, and wanting to have amenities closer by. But This concept has also become this political fight. After getting international attention, critics of 15-minute cities see the concept as an infringement on personal freedom due to de-emphasizing personal cars and the design of cities broadly. This wave of concern also stems from the city of Oxford's recently approved plan that implements what they call traffic filters, which basically limits traffic on certain roads during certain times of the day and issues fines for people who use those roads at unauthorized times, basically a congestion management pricing plan. Many residents are concerned that they will be fined for driving outside their neighborhood boundary and tying this to the 15-minute city's idea. And it's not clear to me that that is how this plan actually works. But looking at the maps that are online, I could see why people would interpret it that way. Just So I'm not sure if this is an issue of how maps were illustrated or if that's actually how this plan functions. So articles like the Times are largely dismissive of critic concerns, saying that this is just another wave of conspiracy theories and controversy over harmless ideas. I think, you know, for people in the planning world, there's kind of this collective eye rolling happening online right now and on places like Twitter, which 
I guess that's kind of what people do on Twitter is roll their eyes at things. So Kevin, I feel like you have a pretty broad perspective on things and also an empathetic perspective. And so I'm glad that we're able to kind of talk about this topic. Do you think that the concerns people have are warranted or is this something that we should all be rolling our eyes at and just kind of moving on from? (laughs) Well, let me see. Short version, I think it's fine for people to be concerned. It's a funny topic because it's where the Strong Towns conversation intersects politics and culture. And so it kind of gives you you the opportunity to basically offend everybody in the audience in some fashion <laughs> because you know there it's it, it's such an interesting uh, collision uh, of of ideas and topics where you're right the the whole 15 minute city topic is completely innocuous for planners and for designers it's uh, it's been around for literally for centuries and in America it was probably originally popularized in the 1920s with Clarence Perry's neighborhood unit diagram it's something that, you know, I've been an evangelist for, I guess, for probably 30 years or more speaking about it and uh, and talking about the whole beauty of uh, and the wonderful nature of being able to live in a place where you can actually walk to everything uh, or maybe it's a short bike ride away and just the personal freedom that that seems to give you and the joys and benefits of using your body to get around and to see your neighbors and run into your run into your neighbors and talk to them and it's it's really a very what i would call a pro human idea it's 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 how our cities and towns all over the world were uh, built uh, for centuries the challenge is of course now we don't build cities and towns that way anymore and as strong towns has well documented we started something called the suburban experiment, largely starting after World War II in the United States, which really was a very different way of thinking about cities, which is much more top-down, much more planned and controlled by uh, agencies that never existed really before the 19-teens or 20s in, in our country. And so there's a whole different context now for thinking about cities and how planning happens that is much more directed from the top than it ever used to be. Then you throw into the mix with all this um, COVID-19 and the uh, the policy response of the last three years, uh, which has been absolutely unprecedented in human history uh, outside of wartime, where we had these you know real strong restrictions on people's freedom of movement and and their lifestyles all over the Western world. And uh, a lot of that, uh, a lot of those policies like the lockdowns and other things have really been discredited and show they didn't really do any good, but they've left deep scars in many, many people about how they feel about restrictions on their movement and freedom. And so in a certain respect, what I, what I see with this is how it's sort of like Newton's third law, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And we had some incredible actions the last few years, whether whether you thought they were warranted and justified or not. And now we're in the reaction phase. And the reaction phase is going to go on for a while. And unfortunately, there's a lot of pretty innocuous things like the whole concept of walkable cities and you know 15-minute places, which are probably going to get caught up in the emotional reaction to everything that's happened uh, in recent years. So and that's why I say, in a sense, I think we should allow people to feel worried and we should 
be patient with people and and be understanding of of how people feel about what's what's happened and what's going on. Yeah, to me, this seems like one of many backlashes from what we've seen over the past couple of years um, from what's happened with COVID. And, you know, whether you think that was right or wrong, I think people are very skeptical now of government and institutions. And there's a huge lack of trust now. And there's also this tying with the World Economic Forum's Great Reset Initiative. And so I've seen a lot of that, too. People do have a right to ask questions and and have their concerns. And I think I feel like this issue boils down to framing what are we even talking about and what people are imagining for the future based on their associations with the term. 15-minute cities, to us, it seems like it's something that is innocuous and has been something planners and designers have talked about for a very, very long time. For some people, they're just now hearing about it and then hearing about it associated with these things that these institutions and and civic entities that they don't trust. And, you know, they may be picturing like a futuristic dystopia. And I'm personally a big fan of dystopian movies, Um, you know, so I could imagine that 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 could be something some people are imagining Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games technically lives in a 15-minute city, right? So there's all these different movies where I think people can picture like where this could go wrong. And I think it's good to picture where things can go wrong. And, and it's always good to have skepticism about these kinds of things. I wholeheartedly do not believe that any local urban planners and designers would want a society to look like uh, an authoritarian (laughs) nightmare place. Um, You know, I can't speak for the, you know, great reset people or, you know, that level of, of uh, whatever you want to call that. But I don't think that people who work in local government are actually interested in that kind of future. I think people who are advocates of 15 minute cities are picturing more so small town USA, pre-1950 neighborhoods, streetcar suburbs, or even new urban developments and town centers. Just places where people can, you know, walk to lots of different amenities and and things that they need in their daily lives, which is different from the suburban experiment, um, which is completely car oriented and we might talk about how, like, to me, that seems more like a conspiracy than what the 15-minute neighborhood model is. Um, maybe yeah. a discussion for today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. You know, I think back to, I wrote a book a few years ago called Why I Walk. And one of the uh, chapters I, I had in there was actually about freedom. Uh, I think that was the title of it. And uh, the whole notion was talking about how when you live in a walkable community and you're not dependent on a car. I mean, I'm not anti-car. I like cars. I've always had a car since I was 16. But when you don't need one uh, to just get about your life, uh, it's a wonderful feeling and it's very liberating in a lot of ways. Uh, and, And so the blend of having the opportunity to have a car whenever you need one and get out and use it and also just being able to walk to things is really a tremendous and wonderful source uh, of freedom uh, for people. Um, But there is, everything can be taken to a dystopian place. 
And I think, <laughs> I mean, I think you're hundred percent right. I think, you know, planners, especially in local government and private sector, you know, for the most part, they just want to build good places for people. They want to improve their communities. Uh, planners nowadays very much support the idea of walkable uh, cities. That was not the case 50 years ago, uh, 60 years ago. They Planners were not um, advocating really for walkable places, but they are now. And that's terrific. And they really are trying to make improvements. But it's also fair to realize that there are bad people in the world who do want, they do look for mechanisms of control. It's okay to think about that. Uh, whether the Davos crowd is like that or not is is a fun conversation. Um, the, I mean, it's funny that in one of the articles you sent, it it uh, not the New York Times piece, but uh, the other one that it, it referred to the Great Reset as a conspiracy theory. Well, I mean, there's literally a book called The Great Reset written <laughs> by the chairman and founder of, of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. So it's not exactly a conspiracy theory. And they are the richest richest, most powerful people in the world. Uh, now, they don't really have the control that they think they have or they wish they have, but I think there are there are people out there who would be happy to place those limitations on other humans. And I think we have to give credence to that and think about that. There are, you know, especially after everything that people have been through uh, the last few years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and if with the great reset thing, I I feel like it at the very least their marketing really backfired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's <for now. laughs> yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I, I I agree with that and I think, you know, people are largely concerned about coercion versus, you know, actually shifting the culture and changing hearts and minds and it does feel like a misdirection to simply like write people off for being skeptical of something or not seeing the world in the same way that you do, especially when it's ideas that people associate with coercion. I think you'd have to be really dense to not see that coercion is an element of how civic life operates and has been a prevalent tactic. And I, you know, whether you think that's good or bad, I, I think that that's something to be aware of and that, you know, just simply shutting people down and not entertaining, you know, other people's way of looking at the world is not really going to win, win hearts and minds or change perspectives or, you know, allow them to contribute to what a 15 minute city means in their context. We have a lot of different contexts that we're talking about and people, people live in suburbs, people live in cities. And, and so how these things actually work in terms of how how your neighborhood might evolve over time is, is different. And I think that there is a place for people to actually contribute to their neighborhoods and their places with this kind of thinking. Um, so yeah, and, and, you know, the freedom thing is really interesting to me, just because I, I see the fact that we build cities, I would call it like a 15 minute car centric model where you, I mean, it's really just a different mode of transportation, but you know, my world is a 15 minute car city and I really do need to have a car. I live in a walkable neighborhood, but for the most part, if you live in an American city, you need to have a car if you want your life to be convenient. 
and access and have more um, freedom of choice for the things that you access, the doctors you go to, the parks you can go to, the restaurants. Um, and when you look at this model of developing cities, you're basically obligated to buy a car, have a car payment, purchase oil. You don't have an option not to. And I, I so I associate the car centric city as kind of an anti-freedom thing because it's great to be able to travel and have a car and take a road trip if you want to. Um, but the fact that daily life is so strictly tied to having your own car and paying for it is not, it, I mean, it's, it doesn't give you a ton of freedom. Cars themselves are, are wonderful. I saw uh, like some stuff on Twitter. There's you know, people who are talking, who are really pushing back on more and more, I think, on a lot of the narrative that you hear come from urbanists and maybe strong towns advocates that are some of the anti, really strong anti-car language. And you know, I see more people pushing back on that now than I ever did. It's a strange time. It's probably going to be like this for a while. I, I would hope, I guess if I would hope for anything, as I would hope that people in our world would actually look at what's happening and try to see this as an opportunity. Um, because there are, there are a lot of people really, really fired up about what has happened the last few years, you know, everything from the lockdowns to vaccine passports to, you know, green cards or not green cards, but you know, the, what the green system they had in some cities that, uh, where you couldn't, couldn't go depending on vaccination status and all that. And they're much more active and engaged than they used to be. And I think. I would suggest this is an opportunity to actually have uh, more of a strong towns type conversation with that group of people who has not typically been as engaged and to really talk about the benefits of a lot of these uh, types of communities where you can walk and ride a bike and try to understand uh, what people's hesitations and, and issues might be and where they're coming from to to find a way to enable the creation of more places, but not have it feel no, or have it be forced uh, on people. I think there's an opportunity there. I think it's really it's an incredibly challenging time, and it's hard to have that conversation, um, especially when people are very sensitive to any form of government control right now. But I think there's a way for people who know how to have really good conversations to cut through all that. And, and figure out a way. Because at the same time, that group, that, um, that side of, the, of, let's say, the political spectrum that has been very much bought into suburbia the way it is and the car culture that we have, it would be good for all of them to, you know, to, hear our, to hear the Strong Towns message, to hear the message about walkable cities, but in an empathetic way, not in a dismissive you know, way where people are rolling their eyes and talking about um, Agenda 21 again. Yeah, maybe I'll eat my words, but I, I think that I would rather be in a time where people are fired up and pushing back against all kinds of things than live in a time where people are just totally disengaged from the conversation besides the practitioners of whatever whatever our world is. I think it does make things more challenging, but it also forces professionals to hopefully think um, and hopefully it improves our communication 
maybe it won't, but I, I hope it would, I, you know, the optimist that I am. I, I agree with you. I think that these kinds of things are an opportunity to bring more people into these conversations, to take some of these ideas and maybe disconnect them from, you know, the top down kind of mechanisms for trying to push out or, or coerce people into ideas and think about how what it actually means in a more bottom up kind of way, just because it's coming from some plan that maybe is seems to be implementing things in a way that is like authoritarian and weird. That doesn't mean that there's no merit to having, um, you know, being able to walk your dog and pick up a case of beer and grab some lunch. Like, (laughs) you know, that there's, there's a lot of merit to living in a community like that, which is pretty awesome. Is actually pretty awesome. And, And I actually wanted to ask you, so, you know, to put a plug in for you, you recently, um, have launched a podcast called The Messy City. And I wanted to ask you, can a 15-minute city be a bottom-up messy city? Or does it have to be a top-down utopia? Well, I guess I would go back to what I said you know, earlier, which is all of those places that people like us who are like a walkable place, uh, what I might call a messy place, all of those places were almost all built by us, you know, in a previous era. We had the very natural ability to build communities that were 15-minute cities uh, and walkable cities just as, an, just as an extension of what we did all the time. Uh, it, was, it was an emergent way of living for human beings. So can it um, be bottom-up? I, I would argue that every single one that we love was bottom up uh, to begin with. And it's really been when we started intervening and trying to control everything that we've created more problems. Uh, and uh, we're not we're not ever going to go back to that pre-city planning era, uh, pre-zoning, pre-city planning era of, of the 1920s. But I think we can learn a lot from that and figure out how to apply that and make things much more bottom up uh, to really get those kind of places that that we really cherish. Yeah. So thank you very much for joining me today. I think we'll leave it there. But before we end today, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of the show where we can share anything that we've been up to these days, anything we've been watching, reading, listening to. Uh, Kevin, I will pass it to you. What have you been up to? Well, thanks. Thanks again for the plug on the the new podcast called The Messy City. I've been putting a lot of time in on that. It's available uh, on my uh, Substack page or uh, on all the usual podcast platforms. Uh, For fun, the one thing we've probably been watching a little bit more of lately, we've been working our way through all of the uh, Yellowstone programs. <laughs> We're up to date on the latest Yellowstone. We're now finishing the 1883 prequel uh, and probably do, I think it's 1923 or something. That's the, the other one that they've made. Uh, all very entertaining, very uh, interesting, and often very dour and <laughs> and uh, kind of crazy in the stuff that goes on in those shows, but uh, riveting, really good entertainment that uh, that we've been enjoying. Not with, not with the kids in the room, though. We'll say that. <laughs> Just the adults. 
Good. I was judging you. I'm there's, glad there's you lot, said that. There's a lot of <laughs> lot of death and dying on that show. So. Oh, really? I, so yeah. that those are on my list. I have not seen it yet. I need to do that. I actually recently got sucked into a show um, because of an intern, Isabella, who's working with us. Who we were touring a school that we were working to redevelop, and it's very you know, kind of creepy. And we, you know, we had to go into the boiler room and it was very scary. And I was actually thinking of I Am Legend. And she was, she said, did you, have you seen The Last of Us? And I'm, I'm like, no, I haven't seen this. So I am now fully invested in this HBO show that is about, it's actually based on a video game. And it is about a basically a society that has a pandemic from this fungus that if you if you remember seeing like uh, Animal Planet or something about this fungus that takes over this bug and controls its brain, the plot is based on if that fungus evolved and could take over humans. So it's these like mushroom zombie people that very rapidly lead to the demise of civilization. And so 20 years later, it's about the people who are kind of left behind and are, you know, on this great mission to basically find find a cure for it. And they're traveling across the country. There's a couple of episodes that is set in Kansas City during a revolution that they have against their authoritarian uh, dictators. <laughs> So very dystopian. It's very, it's a very on brand show for me. I love shows like this. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, I think it's one of my favorite zombie shows that I've ever seen. So highly recommend it. I'll have to add that to the list. So right after I rewatch the uh, Hunger Games. So <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> I actually watched the Hunger Games yesterday because it's on Netflix and it was recommended <laughs> and I'm working on a puzzle and I'm like, I just need something easy to put on that I've seen before. So yeah, I watched that last night. It's a very ironic day for me. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for joining me today. Always good to have you on the show. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode of UpZoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Kevin.